HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Greenhorns, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and in this case, it's farmers so far away. Today we have Megan Talley, who's coming to us from Alaska. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Severin. Thanks. Thank you. So, of course, there's always news to talk about, but um, I'm in the Lopez, I'm on the Orcas Island in the San Juan Islands, and I've been eating Alaska salmon almost every day, and it's so good. I wonder what's going on um, with the weather in Alaska. How is it going up there? Uh, The weather, it's sunny, and there's no snow, and it's probably about 40 degrees out right now where I'm at. So can you just give a little bit of a briefing uh, about the geography of Alaska and where the farming is happening and where you guys are and the whole situation there? Sure, yeah. So Alaska's huge, um, humongous, and we are in south-central Alaska, which means we're not far outside of Anchorage. Um, compared to Alaska, we are, like, in the very southern crook of it. Um, but there are there are a couple of regions of places where people are farming. Where we are is probably where the most farming is happening. Um, and then you have the Delta area, which is probably, I think it's about six-hour drive from here on the way up to Fairbanks, where you have sort of another pocket of farming happening as well. And then you also have southeast Alaska, which is a totally different climate than where we are, where people are doing, um, I wouldn't say so much farming, but like large-scale front yard and backyard gardening um, and producing quite a bit of food that way, it's my understanding. So I'm surrounded by massive mountains. I'm between two glaciers, and uh, we're sort of in a flat plain that used to be glacial runoff. So all of our soils are glacial silt, which is kind of interesting. So now when I was there, I learned that the Matanuska Valley is also called the Matsu Valley. Will you talk a little bit about the different um, the phases of settlement and the homesteads and the land that you're on? Sure, yeah. So the Matsu Valley, well, the Matanuska colony 
uh, was part of the New Deal in 1935, and uh, Roosevelt sent up 200 families, mostly from the upper Midwest region um, that had been hit during the Dust Bowl and the Depression, um, sent them up here to literally clear forest land away and start farms. So it was sort of this, like, interesting socialist experiment. Um, it did pretty well in some senses, and a lot of uh, families, there's actually still some families here that are from that original colony, um, but a lot of families ended up leaving, but ended up leaving cleared land. So the property that I'm on is um, 900 acres. Most of it's still wooded, but we've got about 200 acres in um, that, is, that are hayed, and then we run um, a six-acre vegetable plot, um, and this land was originally uh, sort of pieced together by a woman named Louise Kellogg from uh, the Chicago area who came up here in the 40s, and uh, she had a hard time finding any land or having uh, anybody sell her land because she was a single woman in the 40s, but somehow talked people into selling her parcels of land. She ran a dairy for a long time um, up until the 80s and just sort of bought up land as people ended up uh, selling out and leaving. So, so this whole area is really sort of scattered with these interesting little pockets of old farms and is still probably the, I'm, I'm not sure if this or Delta are the biggest producers. Delta produces more grain and barley. Um, we really down here produce like vegetables and, and some meats. And there's still, there's still definitely a uh, community and culture of homesteading in this area for sure. So let's talk about what drew you to the area, and then after that we're going to talk about your many landscapes and maybe some analysis, so get ready ready your analysis brain. But first let's talk about the program that you're running there, and maybe you're even recruiting students at this time. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so currently now the land, when Louise Kellogg, who owned this land, passed away in 2001, she deeded her property to Alaska Pacific University which is how uh, my husband and I got up here. Um, so we, we run the farm, and we're working on developing credited courses through APU, Alaska Pacific University, um, in farming and food systems. Um, it's, it's a small liberal arts college that sort of happened to get a farm given to them with no farm program. So we're really working on um, developing some food system programs around here. And uh, currently we... Just we offer an internship program in the summertime, and we're working on getting courses. And they have a sustainability undergrad program, so we're working on getting sort of food literacy put into uh, definitely the sustainability program, but also just in general for all undergrad students at that school. Um, yeah, so we're certainly we're looking for summer interns. If anyone wants to come spend um, a summer between two glaciers in a beautiful place where the sun never goes down. We're looking for that. And, um, yeah, in the next couple of years, we'll definitely be offering uh, um, more and more programs that actually deal with um, growing food, but also how the food system here uh, works and is put together. So, um, well, there's a little side note we have to go into, which is what's the impact of this long, long day on the produce that grows in Alaska, and what should people expect about farming for 24 hours a day? <laughs> um, well, we don't. We try not to farm 24 hours a day. Uh, 
Oh, okay. Thank uh, you. It's cool. It doesn't ever get super warm where we are. Um, it's different when you get up to Fairbanks. They get pretty hot, but um, we still harvest our greens at 9 in the morning. Um, it doesn't really get a whole lot hotter throughout the day typically here, so um, it doesn't affect us too much as far as the length of farming. I will say that occasionally, 11 o'clock at night, I realize I'm still outside working and um, it's still nice and light out. But it, the effect on the produce is interesting. Some things are not affected at all. Um, some things grow really big. So uh, the the brassica family, for sure, really loves the soil and the light here. We get the biggest broccoli heads I've ever seen in my entire life with, with little to no amendments. Um, and currently we're still building up our, our soil structure here. So broccoli can do really well with basically nothing here. But we get a lot of stuff that bolts, so beets bolt in the first year. Um, we have a hard time do it with cilantro. It wants to bolt. Um, so a lot of the, the sort of small-scale research that's happening is on uh, figuring out which seeds will not bolt in the light. Um, chard wants to bolt. And uh, we, can't, uh, we can't do eggplant here either unless we find a place for it to actually have darkness because it needs – it's a nightshade, so it needs – some sense of darkness. So we've had a hard time getting eggplant going even inside where it's warmer. So, you have to yeah, come all up those, um, the marijuana growers' supply houses and get the like that black padding stuff that they use for light exclusion. Um, when you say really big broccoli, can you make some um, comparisons of how big, like, like big as a dinner plate, big as a soup? Terrain, we definitely like, have okay. some broccoli, like single broccoli heads that were as big as a dinner plate this year. <laughs> and like I said, our soils are still um, need need some more organic matter in them. We're still sort of working with just glacial silt and not a lot of um, not a lot of soil structure. So um, yeah, definitely. That, I would not say that's the the norm, but we got quite a few that were dinner plate size. Okay, so. Um now everyone knows a little bit about Alaska and the fact that there's a fun scene up there. Now I'm interested if we can shift gears and talk about how you swung your Tarzan way from Oklahoma to Massachusetts to upstate New York to Alaska and maybe a little bit nav about the navigating that you did, thinking especially about the young, young, young farmers who were trying to figure out how they're going to start navigating um, maybe describe the journey and some of the what the process was like for you, like decision making wise. Um, sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma, sort of surrounded by agriculture, and never really considered that to be a profession until um, I saw what small scale farming in New York looked like. Um, and yeah, my my path was working at the Union Square Farmers Market and just realizing. Um, how awesome, like, having fresh local food was and sort of the community that was, uh, that was making up this small-scale agriculture. And, um, yeah, I got lucky. I was, I was working in the farmer's market, and I was ready to leave New York City, and uh, someone offered me a job with the same farm um, but driving the truck back and forth, so it was my way out of the city, but I kept my job. And uh, that's where I really first, like, got my hands in the dirt and started doing it. And for me, just something clicked. It made a lot of sense um, to be growing food and to have that connection to it. And I knew that I needed to pursue that further. 
Um, so I woofed first, actually. I left New York and went to Argentina. I actually went down there as for a dance project that I'd been working on, um, but decided I would go woof just to make sure I really wanted to farm. And um, I came away feeling absolutely sure that I wanted to at least spend a good amount of time in my life learning how to grow my own food. Um, I think I, I'll, I graduated uh, college right before the 2008 financial crash, and I think there's a big part in that for me that um, I realized that I, there was never going to be the same kind of like good old company job security that some of our parents had, and so I felt like the best thing to do was to learn how to take care of myself in the most immediate needs, which is food. Um, so that was sort of my initial spark into going into it. And then when I came back to the States after being uh, in South America, I looked on ATRA, um, A-T-T-R-A, and started looking for internships. Um, I'd already been in the Northeast at that point for a few years, and so I kind of wanted to go back there because I had a lot of friends and family. And uh, I found this awesome little farm just outside of Boston, Newton Community Farm. I spent three years there, which if you can spend three years on one farm, I think is, is awesome. I think a lot of people end up having to bounce around quite a bit, but spending three seasons in one place, you really get to learn a whole different set of things each year. So I spent three years there, and uh, I guess earlier had met my sweetie, and uh, we, after there, moved to Troy, New York, to start up our own farm on some family land. And uh, we realized how hard it was to actually start and run your own business. And uh, we loved it, but felt like we maybe needed to look in different directions. And that's when the opportunity to go to grad school while farming came up. So we uh, packed up and moved to Alaska. So, okay, so a couple of questions come up for me. One is, how did you know for sure that it was right for you? And think again about the young, 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 young farmers who are trying to figure out how sure they are and how assuredly they can take the next step. Well, that's the first question. Like, how did I know it was for me? Um, well, I, I guess a lot of things. I, um, from a very young age, had struggled with eating disorders. I'd never had a really good relationship with food. Um, I'd gone up and down and was really, really trying to figure that out, um, even having moved beyond just a body image state that I, I've, something for me felt very wrong um, about the food system. So for me personally, the, you know, the direct connection to growing food and what it, um, what it meant to grow food and to know people who grew food, um, like it turned some switch in my head that, um, you know, that, that issue for me sort of disappeared. So that was one pretty major thing. Um, I think in the farming community I found all of these like amazing strong women who were big strong people and everybody, you know, they, they just were these amazing people who had no issues with uh, food or their bodies. And I thought, you know, for me that culture was, was pretty important. Um, and along with the, the, just the supportive community of, of young farmers, like I like dance parties and I like potlucks and um, I sort of was thrown into that whole world. And uh, so that was one thing that made a lot of sense. I think I'd also been um, sort of searching. I'd been to a lot of protests about one thing or another, and I'd been searching for sort of how I could um, directly affect things that I felt like were out of my control. 
And uh, I'd done my research into the food system, and I, I knew it was really messed up. I grew up around uh, contained animal uh, farms where, you know, I knew something was wrong with the food system. And so I wanted to find something that I was directly contributing to making better. And, um, you know, farming is so direct. You're actually, your hands are on it. You're doing it. Um, I like physical work. I, like, I liked that part of it. And, uh, yeah, so that just made sense for me. And let's talk a little bit about the starting a farm from scratch. Because um, you were coming in with, at that point, you had three or four years of farm experience and your partner had similar. Um, you know, what, what are some lessons that you would transmit to others and for yourself thinking kind of longer term ahead, like what will you do differently next time? Um, yeah, starting a farm from scratch is tough. I think it's, I think it's different every, in every situation. Um, we, we decided from the beginning not to take out any loans in our first year, so we had some money saved up, um, and we were able to live in a house. We weren't, we weren't paying rent to live, so that was helpful. So I would say, you know, find, find the best situation for, um, for sort of low-cost living. Um, again, I was sort of lucky not to have um, any, any college debt or anything, um, so that was helpful. But, um, yeah, we, we sort of uh, we found that, you know, reaching out into our community, too, was really important, starting our own farm, because, you know, one person knows how to do something that maybe you don't, and, and typically people are pretty willing to help you with things that you might have questions. So I would say don't hesitate to reach out and ask questions um, to people who have more experience. And um, I don't know, yeah, I think, you know, the investment part of starting a farm from scratch is so difficult. We, we'd been working, we'd been farming, and so didn't have that much money saved, but we were able to buy sort of our first few pieces of equipment um, and, and not have to go into debt for that. So I don't know, I was talking to another farmer up here earlier this week, and she's in her, I think, eighth year of running a farm, and she's, she's really just now to the point of feeling like, okay, I got this. So I think that when, when you look at, like, I'm going to start a farm, like, do the 10-year plan, do the 15-year plan, and, like, figure out what you're going to buy and how you're going to sell produce in that first year and then what it's going to look like the next year, and knowing that it's going to change, but... Um, it is. It's a. It's a lifetime investment. It's a long-term planning um, that I think a lot of us are not necessarily uh, ready for. Um, but then to the to the brand new farmers too. Just I would say um, spend a lot of time on different farms. Join a, a craft C R A F T collaborative regional alliance for farmer training. Um, I spent some time in the Eastern Massachusetts craft and Hudson Valley craft, and that, that was huge. I think you, for that you get to see other people's farm systems. You get to know the community. Um, that, that, was, that was a big part for me in my learning experience. Um, yeah, does that answer? Like, don't hurry. Don't hurry thinking you have to go off and rush into entrepreneurial phase, even if it's yeah, that Yeah, yeah, no, don't hurry at all. I think um, I would say, too, you know, I'm working for a university right now, and one of the things that we're thinking about is, like, how can every university support a farmer, and how can every hospital support a farmer, and how can every middle school support a farmer? So 
I think, I'm hoping that over the next few generations of, of new farmers that we get into these institutions that want to supply fresh food to their, their place. So there's, I, I would love to see more jobs opening up that are farm jobs rather than farmers feeling like they have to go out and start their own. So, you know, spending time to learn different systems with a lot of different people in different regions can be really helpful. Well, and that there's a lot of um, nonprofit energy going into starting farm incubators and that that's really valuable and can provide good habitat for new growers. But if that incubator is affiliated or latched in with a guaranteed buyer, like you're saying, a hospital or a school or a brewery or um, another reliable purchaser of food, that seems like a really solid like um, I almost think about like a shunt or a, um, you know, in the in the membrane of cells, how there's like a there's a pump, a sodium pump, that brings materials into the cell, almost like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In a place. Yeah, any way that I think we as new farmers can sh- like can have other people share the risk of our farming venture, especially once we know what we're doing and know how to farm the the better we will all be. Um, So we don't have that much more time left together, um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, family land and the kind of approach to take around family land. Um, Often so many of the young farmers are not coming into family land. They're coming on to work with a landowner or a retiring farmer or they're making a, a lease a lease as a start um, that we almost like don't have that much kind of community gossip about the way to approach family land and I thought you would be pretty good at laying out a little bit of the basics like the very basic basics um, yeah, yeah, we definitely, we've um, farmed some family land for a little bit, and um, there's some really great benefits and really great challenges. I would say um, before, especially before making any sort of um, land investment that really, really spell things out very clearly um, as to what the succession looks like, um, who can do what to it, um, and and be clear with your family ahead of time that um, you know you need to make you do need to make that ten year plan. So I think I think a lot of times what we find for young farmers is people want to say, well, I'll lease it to you year to year, or I'll lease it to you for a couple of years, and we'll see how it goes. But I think for farmers that's really difficult because you do need to make. Uh, investments, you know, if you don't have irrigation, you've got to figure out what, how you're going to do that. So I think the, the, from the beginning sort of saying that this is a long-term investment, um, that we need to sort of know that we're going to be here, um, that, that's ideal. And, um, yeah, don't be afraid to, like, learn how to write a contract for that, even within family members, because sometimes, you know, you, a spit in a handshake doesn't necessarily work with your family members and certainly wouldn't work well with a stranger. So I think having, um, having someone that can spell it out very clearly and put it in writing just so that you can always have something to refer back to, like what the agreement is. And, um, yeah, that way you prevent any sort of misunderstanding um, down the road. And what else did I have to thought? 
Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I think families are often, I think sometimes maybe one of the best ways to get into farming because they're often excited to see land that maybe hasn't been used being used. And sometimes um, in, in our case, we were potentially talking with family members about helping us invest into the family. And again, sort of if you have a 10-year plan for what your farm is going to look like, um, family members might be inclined to invest in what you're doing. So that's another, that's another positive to that. But um, it doesn't. Well, there's it doesn't a lot of positives, and there's a lot of possibilities, and there's a lot of land that needs to get loved. So figuring mm-hmm. it out step by step, and making sure to add all the I's and cross all the T's, and um, keep alignment such that the farmland isn't suffering from human miscommunication. Um, I want to make sure to make a small announcement, and that is this. Greenhorns is celebrating the Up Up Farm Film Festival. It's all over here on these beautiful Orcas Islands. I mean, uh, Lope, San, Juan, San Juan Islands, all over Oregon. There's, it's going to be at the Guild Convergence in Schoen Farm in, in Santa Rosa. Basically, it's a collection of 17 awesome movies about young farmers that are being distributed as a cooperative by the Greenhorns. And so you and your group of young farmers or your craft or your church or your rotary club or your grange or your library of your town can buy the DVD and have screening rights to show it publicly, and then it can be in the library and screened in people's houses. And they're really awesome movies that don't otherwise have very much distribution. Um, Hannah Ranch, American Meat, Brookford, Brookford Almanac, up um, all the different Ireland movies and Greenhorns, um, Pig Business, which is about CAFOs of pigs. Anyway, they're, I like them all. I happen to have chosen them, and I recommend them to you. And they also are a good way to support Greenhorns' continuing work. So that's my pitch to all of you aspiring organizers or experienced organizers. Click, click on the link. Uh, any other announcements you want to make from Alaska, Megan? Um, announcements in Alaska. Um, Alaska. Alaska needs new farmers. There's land. There's people who want to farm out here. So if uh, Alaska is calling you and you're, you're feeling the pull of all of the, like, wild Alaska TV shows, like, come on up. We're, we're, uh, it's a good time, I think, to start ag in Alaska right now. We're on an upswing, so consider Very that. nice people, very abundant fish. I wrote an article about my journey to Alaska, which is on uh, in these times, rural America, and maybe they can hyperlink to it from the clickety-clack of the Heritage Radio. And I send you a huge bear hug, lady. Bear hug. Bear hug. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.